0: following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen,
1: and
2: Dexter at Total Wine & More. Garnishing your ham with pineapple? Pair it with a delicious Chardonnay to make their taste buds swirl. Deviled eggs are even better when paired with a light, dry wine like a bubbly Prosecco or a Pinot Grigio.
1: For me, nothing beats recommending a great wine. And with such an extensive selection, I can help you find the perfect one in your budget. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices.
3: Cheers! Cheers! Well, for me, the first day, I was terrified um, because, you know, I had brewed my first batch of beer. It was now uh, about to be ready uh, to hit the market. There were five beer distributors in Boston, and they all turned me down. I couldn't even get my beer into the bars and restaurants through a distributor.
2: Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, we do in-depth interviews with some of today's most significant business leaders. If you're not driving, I suggest you crack open a cold beer, because today we have Jim Cook, who is the founder of Sam Adams and the Boston Beer Company, and one of the men who helped spark America's beer um, renaissance. So, Jim, thanks for coming on the show.
3: Well, it's my pleasure. I've already got a beer, so I'm ahead of you.
2: On that topic, I read somewhere that you have a special trick. I'll have to kick it off. You have a special trick... Um, to drink as much beer as you want Without getting too drunk Is that true?
3: Well that's probably overstating a little bit um, But uh, here's uh, what I do Because I, you know, I drink a lot of beer I actually still taste a sample Of every batch of Sam Adams that we make So you know, I, I'm a professional drinker And here's a, a tip that's my, of, dream. that's
2: my dream someday <laughs>
3: uh, It was my dream too And uh, I feel very lucky but here's uh, my tip from a professional drinker to you know, all the amateur drinkers out there. Um, there is one thing that you can buy at a grocery store uh, that will mitigate the effect of uh, alcohol that you consume if you use it right. And, and it's, it's, not a pi-
2: it's not pizza, right?
3: No, it's not pizza. It is active dried yeast. You know, like the Fleshman's or Red Star, the, the, those little yeast packets. And it turns out that yeast, which is, of course, what produces uh, all the alcohol that we so enjoy, uh, has, as an uh, evolutionary process, developed uh, this enzyme, which is called alcohol dehydrogenase, and it's found in the hmm. cell walls of the yeast, and it breaks uh, alcohol down, specifically, you know, the ethanol uh, that's in alcoholic beverages. It breaks it down in your stomach before it can get into your bloodstream and and from there into your brain and and then impair your judgment and abilities. Now, it, it doesn't ju- wipe it all out, but it will reduce it by some amount. And everybody's different, and you really have to to try this at home before you <laughs> rely on it uh, to see. Um, for me, it's maybe 25 35% of the alcohol. And what you do is you take a, a teaspoon of active dried yeast when you're consuming uh, an alcoholic beverage. You need to kind of put it into your stomach about the time uh, that the alcohol is going in there, and your stomach will break the yeast cells down. They'll release the enzyme. The enzyme will then break... Some of the alcohol down into its constituent hydrocarbon
2: wow and do you do you just eat the you know do you just eat the powder or you make it you you sprinkle it on things how does that work um
3: you know it's it's very granular you can take it's about a teaspoon per you know alcoholic beverage per per drink basically and you know sometimes I'll just take the teaspoon it's kind of you know it's it's very granular it's like a, a teaspoon of white sugar it's kind of hard to swallow sometimes. I'll make it mix it up with some yogurt or some hummus or something like that, just to you know get it down a little bit easier. And
2: you do this all the time.
3: Um, you know, a lot of times when I'm drinking, I want the alcohol. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm drinking because I enjoy that sort of warm, friendly coziness of beer, uh, and you know I, and I pace myself. Uh, to me, I can drink about a beer. An hour mm-hmm. uh, and that 's and i I usually don 't uh, exceed that, so th- I like that feeling, so there are a lot of times when i 'm just you know having a beer, enjoying myself, enjoying the people that i 'm with, uh, you know beer that 's kind of what it does is it helps uh, all of us enjoy each other 's company, so in those kind of times, you know i don 't want to get rid of the alcohol the alcohol 's part of the experience <laughs> uh, it, it. and then there's others where. You know, I might have to do a bunch of samples, you know, and, and uh, I'm going to drive home. I actually carry two breathalyzers in my car uh, to make sure that uh, while beer is in my blood, I want to keep it, you know, about a .05. Uh, so there are times when I'm going to taste some samples, and, and I, I want to mitigate the effects of the alcohol to make sure that I'm, I'm driving at a uh, legal and safe Level,
2: you're the founder of Boston Beer. You should get like a driver or a uh, of an Uber and just throw. Don't worry about the yeast.
3: (laughs) Someday, someday.
2: (laughs) And and you come from a long line of brewers. Like growing up, was beer a very like kind of sacred thing in in your house and your family?
3: Well, a little bit because my dad was a brewmaster Mm -hmm. and my grandfather was a brewmaster. My great grandfather my great-great-grandfather, my great-great-great-grandfather were all brewmasters. So I'm the sixth oldest son in a row in my family to be a brewer. So beer wow. is part of kind of my family's history. Uh, like I said, beer is in my blood, but hopefully about a
2: .05. <laughs> and I loved, what is, let's talk about real fast, the the state of American beer. I mean, it's really, you know, thanks to you guys, it's really exploded from i think i'm going to get this wrong but you know in the in the 70s and early 80s there was you know like eight or nine major brewers now there's eight or nine brewers in every every town it feels like and just there's been such an explosion of the from the light beers you know now we've evolved to you know you name an ingredient and it's in a bottle are we in a, a golden age of american uh, american beer
3: in a lot of ways we are in a golden age of american beer when i started Sam Adams in 1984 there were roughly you know 50 breweries 60 breweries in the United States and in fact then there were in some ways you know more well-known big brands like Stroh and Pabst and you know a lot of regional beers like Old Style and Lone Star and Olympia and so forth um, and I, can, I think two things have happened in an American beer since I started Sam Adams. And to to me, the most important, of course, is this craft beer revolution. Mm-hmm. And when I started Sam Adams in 1984, the term craft beer hadn't even been invented. There were just a handful of mitzvits and crazy people that had this idea of, you know, making a very high quality beer here in the United States and maybe finding a handful of drinkers that could appreciate uh what this handful of brewers was doing. And since then, you know, American craft beer has uh you know had this revolution. And when I when I started Sam Adams, I named my beer after the original American revolutionary Samuel Adams, mm-hmm. the patriot, the rabble-rouser, the propagandist, the firebrand, the founding father, who was also a brewer. And I wanted, with Sam Adams, the beer, to start the same kind of beer revolution that Sam Adams, the patriot, had started as a political revolution. And it's really been an amazing revolution. You know, it started with just a few of us. Now there are 6,000 craft brewers wow. in the United States and and it's not just a beer and a product you know craft beer is a culture craft beer is you know a phenomenon that just goes beyond uh, a simple product that gets put in a shelf a uh, craft beer has changed the way Americans think about their own beer you know 30 years ago when i started Everybody thought American beer was watery, cheap, fizzy, Mm -hmm. it came in a can, you could crush it on your forehead, (laughs) uh, and if you wanted something good, you had to drink an imported beer. Well, Sam Adams and the other craft brewers have now turned that on its head. Today, the best place in the world to be a beer drinker is in the United States because of the craft beer revolution. And today, brewers from all over the world look to the small, independent craft brewers like Sam Adams to teach them how to make beer, to teach them how to create a beer culture, to, to teach them you know, how to innovate in brewing and create new styles of beer. So today, because of the craft beer revolution, America is the epicenter of beer. America has become kind of the Silicon Valley of beer in the United States in the 33 years since I started Sam Adams.
2: It's funny you mention that my father-in-law is a big beer nerd. He brews himself and he was just recently in Germany and I asked him I'm like, "Bill, how was the beer?" And he goes, "It was okay. I was excited to come back to America to get, you know, the better beer."
3: Yeah, isn't that amazing that in 33 years, you know, me and a handful of other brewers have completely changed the mentality of, of beer. People used to come back from Germany raving about the beer. Now they come back and go, well, it was okay, but it was kind of boring. <laughs> I'm so thankful to come back to the United States where I can get great beer everywhere.
2: Now, on this show, we talk a lot about technology. This, revol- this revolution and this renaissance, obviously, it's it's about an attitude, it's different taste, but has there been a technology change? Like, Do people brew beer does a microbrewer or a craft beer brewer use the same technology that you m- might have done 30 years ago, or has there been a leap in th- what you can do because of technology and machinery and all that stuff?
3: Honestly, there's not much in the way of technology, as the way you're thinking of it, that's been brought into brewing. In some ways, uh, what Sam Adams did was helped bring back traditional brewing processes that had been lost, uh, not only here in the United States, but even in Europe. For example, Sam Adams' Boston Lager, the beer that helped launch this whole craft beer revolution, has such a unique unique taste because it uses some very traditional brewing processes that have kind of funny names, like Mm a coction mash, which allows me to leave, you know, more malt body and a little drop of sweetness in the beer, croisoning, um, which is a second fermentation that takes much longer, but it smooths out the beer, um, dry hopping, which means I add uh, fresh hops to the beer as it ages, and mm-hmm. so all of those, you know, brought back this big, rich, flavorful taste into beer. So in some ways, you know, I was going back to the future.
2: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how
0: of the Business Platinum Card, backed by the service and security of American Express.
2: You know beer as you say it's used to be a you know it's a it's a manufacturing job it's a blue collar job it's it's manufacturing it's a lot of cleaning it's chemistry but people have a joy with it and they love you know people are quitting jobs like you did to brew beer What is that connection is it a love of beer is it a love of alcohol like people do this and they wouldn't be as excited if they were making you know uh, bread dough or or you know pretzels it's it there's like what is the connection with beer you think
3: well beer is uh this uh, sort of a cultural artifact, if you will. I mean, when you, you say beer, I mean, people smile, you know, and you have good thoughts. And, you know, brewing beer is maybe the most ancient craft that human beings have. You know, beer has been with us since, uh, humans settled down into villages mm. and created civilization ten or twelve thousand years ago. So when you make beer, you are participating in this ancient art, and there's something magical about it. And and it's in a brewery, you know, you 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 know that because it has these unique, wonderful smells. Um, you know, you're uh, when you're brewing, like you look into your mash tub and you know, it's spinning around and you get these unique shapes that form in the foam. Uh, you get this beautiful sort of porridge-like uh, aroma. You can take some of the clear sweet liquid out called wort mm-hmm. uh, and have it for breakfast. <laughs> uh, there are brewers that, you know, have a have uh, 16 ounces of wort for breakfast every day and swear that it You know, they never get sick. Uh, So, uh, and and you're bringing just very simple natural ingredients together to to make Sam Adams Boston Lager. There's only four ingredients. There's water, yeast, malt, and hops. There's no adjuncts. There's no artificial, you know, food chemistry in there. No enzymes or anything like that that are introduced. It's it is a very simple natural process made from very wholesome ingredients that come from, you know, farms. Uh, In for Sam Adams, you know, we buy these heirloom hops Hmm. uh, from a small area in Bavaria where hops have been grown for 2,000 years. You know, we buy from a hop farmer in Bavaria. His family has farmed the same hop fields since the 1600s. You know, so it's just making beer is so
2: cool. Yeah, it's almost like those ancient, you know, vi- vineyards in Italy or France, and they've been, same family, been doing the same, the same fields for centuries.
3: Yeah, so as a brewer, you know, you develop an appreciation of your art, uh, your craft, and what American brewers have added to this, Uh, Is this uniquely American approach? I mean, when I first started brewing Sam Adams and when craft brewing was very, very young, what it was basically doing was bringing to the U.S. uh, traditional European styles of beer, sometimes uh, styles that were lost in their home country. I mean, craft beer revived porter that had died Mm -hmm. in England, for example. So we were bringing to the U.S. these traditional, very flavorful styles of beer like Boston lager. And, um, you know, and I think I was probably at the forefront of it because I get bored. Uh, So about three or four years uh, into brewing Sam Adams, I thought, well, wait a minute. I'm American. Um, How about I start to innovate? Why don't I build on, you know, these, these traditional styles but bring new twists to them? why don't I, you know, change something up? Let me explore. Let me try something different and see what I'm going to get. Let me begin to push boundaries. Let me begin to, you know, try uh, things to break through. Like, uh, I guess in 1993, uh, I got this idea that uh, I could make the strongest beer in history. Uh, And at that time, you know, there was a couple of European beers. They'd they got to like fourteen percent alcohol, mm. and that was as far as they get.
2: Those are like the big, the big Belgian ales, the Trappist ales. Yeah, right.
3: that's right. And I thought, you know, I mean, I guess it was a kind of a Starship Enterprise mentality of, I'm gonna, you know, go where no beer has gone before, <laughs> and I'm gonna discover, you know, new worlds, new life forms, new tastes and flavors. So uh, I set out to to break kind of this sound barrier of beer. Nobody'd ever gotten beer over to 14 or 15 percent alcohol, and I got it up to 17.5 percent alcohol. It was the strongest beer in history. It was the first beer to kind of break through that barrier. It was called uh, Sam Adams Triple Bock, Mm -hmm. uh, and I I aged it in used spirits barrels, again, which had not been done. Uh, And Uh, And that led to this whole barrel aging movement in craft brewing in the United States. Sam Adams started that back in 1993. So that was what was so cool about, and to this day, what's so cool about being an American craft brewer. I I get to innovate and make beers that in the 12,000 years of brewing history... They've never existed
2: before. Uh, there's some, Jimmy. There's some. Give um, me some examples of some experiments you did with flavors and styles that people thought you were nuts and couldn't do, or people wouldn't like, that actually turned out being being a hit.
3: Um, well, uh, from the very beginning, you know, I was kind of changing things up and trying to, uh, you know, break uh, the confines of what people had always done and do new things. For example, um, in the uh, '80s, we made uh, a cranberry lambic and lambic had been a very traditional belgian style it's a great beer it's got some unique fermentation characteristics and uh it's typically done with some traditional fruits cherry being the big one but occasionally you know raspberries Mm -hmm. maybe peach um and uh i said well you know it's an interesting sort of sour type beer let me let me add something really tart let me add this unique American fruit called cranberries
2: it's very you can't and, get more New England than that so that's good but well, exactly and
3: you know I got a lot of pushback that I wasn't respecting brewing traditions that you know lambics don't have cranberries in them they've got a limited set of fruits and why are you messing with tradition and I felt like well because I can make it better and it was delicious and so cranberry lambic was one of the first sort of new styles of beer that came out of craft brewing in the United States. And that whole mentality of creating new styles is now one of the hallmarks of American craft beer.
2: What's your favorite flop? What was the craziest flavor or craziest thing you tried to put into uh, into a, a new beer?
3: Oh, my goodness. I, there's been some uh, pretty crazy ones. Let's see. Well, uh, there was one that we made with grilled beef hearts.
2: Oh, wow. Uh, what was What was that called?
3: Uh, I I don't even remember the name uh, It was served, of all things, in, in Bloomingdale's We did it with a chef There's a really good chef who's kind of fearless His name's David Burke uh, And he's at some restaurants in New York and other places And uh, he's just unafraid of anything And so we had this sort of program for a while where... Uh, I said David show up at the brewery with an ingredient. Don't tell me what it is. And this is going to be improvisational brewing. This is going to be like <laughs> jazz. You show up with an ingredient and I'll riff a beer off of that.
2: That's like a new so, that could be like one of those food shows like Iron Chef. It's like Iron Brewer. You have to pick an ingredient yeah, and make we, it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that would actually be fun. So David showed up with 40 pounds of grilled beef hearts and I thought, "Okay, that could be a nice base for a brown ale." You know, it's uh, that that uh, there's a little bit of sweetness in a meat when you grill it, and I thought I can nest that that broth-like character will <laughs> nest nicely within a brown ale. So we made a brown ale out of it. It was it was pretty tasty. Uh, the yeast loved it because there were you know lipids and proteins and stuff that uh, jump-started the fermentation. There was a little fruity note from all uh, that yeast activity. So it was a very, very nice beer. Um, what I didn't expect was the thousands and thousands of emails from PETA uh, <laughs> saying, wait a minute, a beer is supposed to be vegetarian. And i, I like, who wrote that? I, it doesn't need to be.
2: That would be a very romantic Valentine's Day gift. You have, like, the beer made of hearts.
3: Uh, well, that's true. We went a little bit better. So I occasionally will make a a valentine's day beer it's called samuel adams chocolate bock and again that was a lot of fun um we used we we figured out how do you get chocolate into beer because the challenge is kind Kind of of, of, well at what stage during the chocolate making process do you get the ingredient because you're obviously not going to throw hershey bars in your brew kettle and it turned out cocoa nibs before they're you know ground and everything and, and turned into uh, chocolate mm-hmm. you see the cocoa nibs that come off of the the cocoa plantations and we put those into the beer as it ages so we get this long slow in cold infusion in, in ethanol and water of the cocoa nibs, draw the chocolate slowly out of the nibs hmm. and it and put that into a rich, smooth bock So that's a delicious Valentine's Day beer, Samuel Adams' Chocolate Box.
2: And <laughs> talking about, you know, these ingredients and flavors, but then, you know, we're talking about the American riff of beer, but then, as we were saying before, there you know, beer is ancient, and they're these kind of expected um, flavors and different structures that, you know, our species has been doing for c- centuries. Do you see, like, in the, you know, kind of in the next 20, 30 years, like a new a new kind of family of beer popping up. And there's always, you know, there's ales and lagers and IPAs and all these things that are, you know, along the same tradition, but, you know, new take, but, you know, same kind of, same same musical notes, so to speak. Do you see, like, a, something brand new coming out that catches on, or are we still anchored to our, you know, five basic beer types, so to speak?
3: No, I think there are new beer types being developed all the time. And, and at Sam Adams, you know, we are... A part of that. Um, at Sam Adams, uh, I to me, we've always been one of the most innovative brewers uh, in the United States, and I guess that makes us one of the most innovative brewers in the world. Mm-hmm. So we're always working on new flavors and tastes that uh, the people are going to like, because I don't want to just make freak show beers. You know, you can make a peanut butter and jelly beer. You know, you can make... Uh, a biscuits and gravy beer. I mean there's all kind of gross things that you can do if you really want to. I want to make wonderful beers that you know 150 years from now brewers still want to make and, and drinkers still want to drink.
2: And what makes what changes a what what makes a, a beer a freak show versus a, like a new classic type? Like, what are the character? Are there certain just flavors that you need a beer to have? Just kind of well, as like a, a base note.
3: Um, yes. What to me, uh, there's kind of four things that you want, and that I set out to make when I'm developing a new beer. Um, I want the beer to have a lot of flavor, because mm-hmm. if you can't taste it, what's the point? I mean, beer isn't like. A, you know, opera music that's better than it sounds. Beer, at least my (laughs) wife claims that, uh, beer can't be better than it tastes. So first, it's got to have a lot of flavor. Second, the flavor has to be balanced. And the essential flavor structure of beer that I work with as a brewer is a balance between the body and sweetness of the malt and the spiciness and the bitterness of the hops. Mm -hmm. So I need, a good beer will be balanced. Uh, And then third is it's going to be complex a, a, a really great beer will have a lot going on you know there's like a a parade going on over your palate and you're going to get lots of different subtle flavors in there like you would in a really great wine or a you know 25 year old scotch or a great old cognac you know those are mm-hmm. all very uh complex uh mashups of, of flavors and tastes and then Fourth, a great beer should be a pleasure to drink. Mm. And, you know, the Freak Show beer, uh, and, you know, we've made some, um, but at the end of the day, they're not the kind of thing that you keep, oh, man, that was so good, I want to keep drinking that. I could sit down and I could drink three or four pints of that Mm -hmm. and and enjoy the the last one as much as I enjoyed the first one.
2: We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
3: These days, business
1: can be done from anywhere, in the palm of your hand and out the source. However, you move your business
2: forward. With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express.
1: Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing we do it right too with incredible deals during our spring black friday sale like 19 ounce bonnie vegetable and herb plants four for ten dollars and pick up five bags of scott's mulch in store only for just ten dollars whatever's on your list hurry in and save during our spring black friday sale do it right for less start with Lowe's Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in-store only. See store for details. U.S. only.
2: So I want to talk about the formation of Sam Adams because you definitely sparked a beer revolution, but your career beforehand was anything but revolutionary maybe. It was a very, it was a great career, but a very kind of buttoned down conservative career it sounds like. I would love to kind of take me through your background and then how you went from a consultant to a entrepreneur
3: yes i had a before I started Sam Adams I actually had a somewhat unconventional career um, I had the unique experience of uh going to my fifty year business school reunion, and people asked me, "Well, Jim, what are you doing now and i said well i 'm actually graduating next week uh, i 'm really proud of that so it it took me seven years to uh, do an MBA that that most people do in two, and I, I actually dropped out of Harvard Law School and Harvard Business School, um, and kind of did my own thing. I was an Outward Bound instructor. I did a lot of mountaineering and climbing, and you know things, cool things that you can only do in your twenties.
2: <laughs> did you go so to I, Harvard undergrad as well?
3: I did, and they have so much of my money, man. <laughs> <laughs> When I get those notices to contribute, I think, wait a minute, I already, I already did that. Uh, so uh, that, and out of all that, I, I finally went back and and finished um, my degrees, and then I was a manufacturing consultant for seven years, and, mm-hmm. and that was great. I learned a lot. I grew. I developed. Uh, I learned about business. But after seven years, I thought, you know. Um, now I'm gotten to the point where I'm having the same experience. You, you know, sometimes there's some jobs where, you know, you can get 5 years of experience, but it's really the same 1 year of experience mm-hmm. 5 times and I didn't want to get into that situation. So, uh, I left. I I thought, do I want to do this for the rest of my life? And I th- said no, and I realized, well, the rest of my life starts tomorrow. So I guess I don't want to do it tomorrow and I went in and I gave my notice. Wow. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I I knew that uh it was time to you know to do something different. I I'd worked for big companies and so I had they had no appeal to me. I didn't want to work in a big company for all the reasons. And most people you know don't want to be a cog in a a big machine. So I decided, well, I I could start my own company. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, I guess those years of you know being an outward bound instructor and being in, uh, in the mountains on my own gave mm-hmm. me a fair bit of you know self confidence uh, in my ability to solve problems and just move on you know and, and uh, build a life. So I looked at different businesses, but I kept coming back to beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it did not look like a very sensible business. I, I told my dad, the brewmaster, that I was. I quit this good job, and I was going to go back into beer, and I thought he would give me like a warm, you know,
2: over-the-shoulder
3: hug.
2: Like you, you, finally come, you finally come to your senses, son, kind of thing. Yeah,
3: you've come home, and he, he had none of that, because the beer business was hard on him. Yeah. You know, he, uh, was, when he got out of brewmaster school, there were a 1,000 breweries in the U.S., most of them doing well. And when I started Sam Adams, that 1,000 had dwindled down to somewhere near 50 so 95 percent of the brewmaster's jobs went away. So he didn't want to see me, you know, in in the situation that he was in. And finally, he understood what I was going to do when I told him, "Look, Dad, I'm not going to compete with these, mm-hmm. you know, big brewers. I, I know the big brewers uh, can grind me up, but they're in a different business. You know, they're uh, they're McDonald's and Taco Bell and Burger King. They're the mass producing and mass marketing an enormous amount uh, of beer, which is all well made and fresh, and they do a very good job at what they do, which is mass produce and mass market beer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make beer in small batches. I'm not going to make it for the mass market. I'm going to make unique beers with lots of flavor. And my business plan was that. Uh, in five years, my business would grow to about a million dollars a year. I'd have seven employees, and that's where it would top out. Mm-hmm. And I could pay myself just enough money you know, to make an okay living, but I would be able to do what I really loved. And that seemed like a pretty good deal to me. And luckily, uh, I was horribly wrong, but in the right direction. We, it didn't take us five years. Uh, to get to eight employees, I think we got there after like two, and we just kept growing.
2: And one day, you might be able to afford. might be able to make a living out of this if you if you stay with it, Jim. If you stay with it, you can do it.
3: I I I'm just a you know a young kid with a crazy dream, man.
2: How many employees do you have now?
3: Um, about fourteen hundred. Wow.
2: And kind of going back, you mentioned you went to, you went to Harvard undergrad, then you were in Harvard Law and Harvard Business, but you, you took some time off to mountaineer, and and eventually, you know, you graduated. What did your family think and your parents think when you left, you know, Harvard Law or Harvard Business School to climb mountains, and then again when you left this consulting job to, you know, be an entrepreneur?
3: Luckily, my family was was tolerant of it. I mean, my dad thought it was a really crazy idea, but, uh, I mean, I had so far exceeded their expectations by that point that I was already on house money. I mean, my dad, you know, co opted his way through college back in the 40s, so, you know, to go to Harvard and uh, uh, be in this uh, JD MBA program that took 12 people a year, that was pretty good. So I, I had a, I hadn't screwed up yet, and so they gave me a little bit. uh, They cut me some slack.
2: Were you a very strong student?
3: Um, mm, let's see. I was a good enough student, but I was not a star by any means. I was in the absolute middle of my MBA class um, in law school. Uh, I was probably below. Average. Uh, When I graduated, I never even took the bar. So Mm -hmm. I got a JD, but I never got out and said, I don't think I really want to be a lawyer. So if I don't want to be a lawyer, why don't I just take the summer off and not study for the bar?
2: Well, being a lawyer, being a brewer, I'm sure there's a lot of similarities.
3: Ah, I have never thought of a single similarity. The only thing that's even remotely in common is you know, as a lawyer, you have to pass the bar. Yep. As a brewer, you get to go in.
2: <laughs> I love that. And you make both your clients drink, I imagine.
3: <laughs> well, lawyers are fun people to drink with.
2: And how did you get... So you decided to be an entrepreneur, then you decided to be a beer entrepreneur. So, okay, it's day one, and you're going to start a beer company. What, what do you do? What does someone do on the first day of their, of their beer venture, or just any, any, any startup?
3: Well, for me, the first day, I was terrified. Um, Because, you know, I had brewed my first batch of beer. It was now uh, about to be ready uh, to hit the market. The whole company was two people. It was me and my ex-secretary. And there were five beer distributors in Boston, and they all turned me down. Hmm. I couldn't even get my beer into the bars and restaurants through a distributor. So luckily, Massachusetts law allowed me to start my own. So I went out and sold my beer, literally in a station wagon, walked up and down the streets of Boston selling beer. And I'd never sold anything in my life. And I remember the first morning when I decided, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to make some sales calls. And I was scared because, you know, cold calling, bars... uh, with this unknown beer, with this tiny little company that had no advertising, no marketing, nobody had ever heard of it, it didn't taste like any beer that people had ever had in their life, Uh, and you know, I was really educated. I had all this fancy Harvard education and now Mm -hmm. I was just one more schmuck selling beer. (laughs) And it's just like total transformation. You're, You're a beer salesman it's not exactly a high status activity. You walk in the back of the restaurant, not the front, you know, you go through the kitchen to try to find a manager or a bartender to talk to and they blow you off. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost all the time I realized after doing it for a few months that I basically had to make twenty sales calls to get one account. So ninety five percent of the time I got a no. Mm-hmm. I got sold we have no interest, why are you bothering me, don't come back. You know, you, you learn to deal with a lot of, of rejection and that was a new experience because nobody goes to you know, college to be a salesman. It, it's a low status activity but for mm-hmm. me it, it was very liberating because all of a sudden nobody cared about my degrees, nobody cared about my background. I, I got to be human <laughs> and, and that was very liberating from you know this oppressive sort of caste system based on education that determines a, a lot of you know status and, and opportunities in the
2: US and obviously your sales techniques worked because you went from you know bar to bar to, to now this publicly traded beer company did you what do you have any sales secrets to share or was just did the beer do the talking
3: well I that was what I was trying to do is get to the position where the beer could do the talking. So my whole uh, thing when I was trying to sell the beer was get them to the point where they were willing to taste it because I would carry cold beer in my briefcase and then I had a sleeve of plastic cups and I would crack open a Sam Adams, pour it in a cup for them, not say anything, just let them taste it, and that was what sold the beer. Uh, I would have, time after time, people would say, you know, I kind of liked your story, uh, Mm -hmm. but I didn't think the beer was gonna be this good. This is great, I've never had anything like this. And that was really what got Sam Adams rolling. And I think six weeks after we hit the market, we got named the best beer in America at the Great American Beer Festival. And so that um, not only put us on the map, but more importantly, it changed the game because it told people that quality was actually uh, a factor in beer. Because before Sam Adams, people really didn't think about well, one beer is better than another. They were all kind of uh, differentiated by their advertising mm-hmm. and their commercials. But they all kind of tasted the same, just like. Coke and Pepsi, nobody argues, was Coke have better ingredients or does Pepsi have a better brewing process? Yeah, it's like
2: a it's like bottle of water. Yeah,
3: exactly. And um, what Sam Adams did is made a very bold statement that there are quality differences, and they are major, and they are based on the You know, the quality of the ingredients, the integrity of the recipe, the care and attention of the brewer. And that makes a difference in the beer. And you should approach beer the way, you know, you'd approach wine. And knowing that Hmm. some are much better than others and give you a much more rewarding flavor experience.
2: Was being named the best beer in America, was that like the big turning point for Sam Adams?
3: Well, not really (laughs) because we didn't have very much beer so we got this award. Everybody in Boston, and at the time we got the award, there were maybe 50 bars in the entire world carrying Sam Adams. But we had a surge in demand. We ran out of beer. We were out for three weeks. There were probably 10 or 15 of the bars that threw me out because you know they were so upset nobody runs out of beer. It's yeah. just a river that flows. And we were out of beer for almost a month. So uh, it, it it didn't really... It wasn't some big revelation and breakthrough. But what it began to do was to make people think differently about beer.
2: When did you go from saying, oh, I want to have this great quality beer and have my eight employees and be able to pay my mortgage to suddenly you realize that I have a corporation on my hands?
3: Well, I never wanted to have, like, a corporation because I started Sam Adams because I didn't want to be in that environment. And it's Mm -hmm. been... Sort of one of my constant touchstones as Boston beer Company has helped lead this craft revolution and and uh, has begun to you know change people's ideas about beer I always uh, wanted to make sure that Boston beer Company was a place that I wanted to come to work because mm-hmm. you know I'm still working my butt off after 33 years I have the same, you know, title on my business cards that I put on them when I started, it's always said brewer and founder. Mm-hmm. So for 33 years, I've had the same title. I haven't, 33 years, man, I haven't gotten a promotion. So
2: <laughs> I got to
3: motivate myself to come to work and the what motivates me is to be a part of a really great place to work, a great company that has an important mission and makes Wonderful products that excite drinkers, stimulate them, educate them, and reward them with pleasure from every glass. So I still get excited about that.
2: And what's kind of the current um, What – what is – your goal right now, or what's the current strategy of Sam Adams? Because the funny thing is, you know, you guys are a big brewer, but you're not a giant, you know, brewery like a, a Budweiser, or, um, and you're also your craft, but you're not like that micro kind of, you know, kind of funky place. Like you're kind of in the middle. How how do you um, kind of work on that with strategy?
3: Well, what we've become is the leading craft brewer. You know, to this day, I mean, I think we've been successful, but we have about one percent of the u.s. beer market mm-hmm. and you know there's these big companies that are hundreds of times our size so we have always had you know the heart and passion of a craft brewer and that's just who we are that's what i started as that's always been my obsession so uh that keeps us very firmly rooted in craft and uh, as a Part of that and, and leading the craft brewing industry, one of the things that uh, has been very important to me and some of the other pioneers is to maintain the unique culture of craft beer. Craft beer is a very special you know, group of, of people. Mm-hmm. And as a, a business, we behave differently. Craft brewers have always partly because, you know, we were always precarious. We Craft brewers live in this landscape dominated by these huge, massive global brewers. So we've always known that we had to collaborate and help each other. And we've always, you know, thought that we were part of a revolution and a movement as well as, you know, a, a having uh, a business. So... That culture has made to me is one of the great things about being a craft brewer, mm-hmm. for example, ten years ago, there was this big hop shortage, and a lot of craft brewers just couldn 't get hops. It was a semi crop failure they just weren 't hops enough hops to go around, and craft brewers were looking at closing their doors, at changing their recipes, at you know not having the right ingredients to make their beer and at Sam Adams, you know, we've been buying hops for decades, and, and after a while, you realize there's good years and bad years, and we always keep a buffer inventory to get through the bad years, so that we won't have to compromise or change recipes. We'll have the hops we need. Well, we looked at our hop inventory, and I said, you know, I think we've got enough to do everything that we want to do. Let's open up our our cupboard to our fellow craft brewers who can't get hops. So we sold hundreds of thousands of pounds of really great hops Hmm. at our cost, which was at the time about $5, and and the market price was $20 if you could get them. So we sold them uh, hops to over 200 of our fellow craft brewers at our cost uh, so that they could continue to make their beer, that never happens. Think of an industry where you know one competitor reaches out and helps two hundred other competitors stay in business.
2: Yeah, you're like a bre- it's a brewing commune, not a not a not capitalism here.
3: Well, that's right, and that's <laughs> I think what's made craft brewing you know so beloved by our drinkers. I mean, you know, people like that kind of attitude that that Sam Adams helps other craft brewers. We we now. Uh, have something called the Brewing the American Dream Program, where we provide coaching and counseling and small business loans to uh, businesses all over the U.S. in food, beverage, and and hospitality, Hmm. including uh, over 40 other craft brewers. So uh, there's over 40 other craft brewers that we've provided loans to, microfinance loans so that they can grow their business, create jobs, create economic development in their in their neighborhoods, and we've given coaching and counseling to probably 500 yeah. others, you know, as part of what it means to be in this community of
2: craft brewers. I like that. You have micro-loans for microbrews. That's That's a good slogan.
3: That's exactly <laughs> right. Well, and, and that's really uh, the essence of who we are, and and for us, the, the the cool part of helping all these other businesses is we benefit from it in a in a cultural way. You know, it keeps us uh, cognizant and reminds everybody at Boston Beer Company of our small business roots and our entrepreneurial spirit. Because once we start thinking like a big company, like those big global brewers, mm-hmm. we're screwed because. <laughs> They're really good at being big, you know, corporate global brewers. We're not, you know. All we can do, all we're really good at, is being a small entrepreneurial craft
2: brewer. And is a new generation? It's a new generation of beer drinkers finding Sam. I mean, it was great last year. Um, you know, you were a great partner at our Forbes Under Thirty Summit in Boston, and you guys brewed a special ale called the Millennial Millennial or Millennial Ale. For, for the under 30s and you know if people who weren't there the line was you know around the tent everyone trying to get some and people were raving um, what is like the new culture of beer is this being passed down to these 20 year old 30 year olds
3: oh absolutely you know 20 and 30 year olds have totally bought into this culture of craft beer you know to them you know they never knew a time when America was a beer wasteland mm-hmm. you know they've grown up with great beer and uh, I think they embrace that excitement of craft beer Uh, you know the story of of a craft beer, the story of uh, uh, Sam Adams is kind of a millennial's dream you know of dropping out of the corporate world and following your passion and making something like Sam Adams that changes the world and you get free beer for the rest of your life.
2: You can't beat that.
3: How can you not aspire to you know something like starting the next Sam Adams? How can you not appreciate you know what a wonderful phenomenon Saf- Sam Adams and the rest of the craft beer movement has brought us?
2: Well, amazing, Jim. Well, I've taken a lot of your time. Before you go, though, I would love if you could give me a beer prediction. You know what is exciting coming down the line what 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 are you looking forward to or what what kind of beers do we see in the horizon here
3: well craft brewing is is very innovative but i'll I'll give you some things that uh are exciting to me um here in new england craft brewers are developing a new style of ipa uh called New England IPA because us craft brewers were not like great marketing people, (laughs) so it's not that imaginative.
2: That's right, it's simple, it's direct.
3: Yeah, exactly, and it's a kind of hazy and juicy IPA that uh, is very big and flavorful, but doesn't have the sort of the dank notes of a uh, West Coast IPA, Mm. doesn't have kind of that tongue-scraping bitterness that some of the big double IPAs have, so it's a, a, a really nice evolution of uh, that really gorgeous hoppiness that's coming from some of the new American hops, and and using them to lend a kind of a juiciness uh, <laughs> to a big, rich, flavorful IPA. So we we're actually you know serving that at the brewery. Uh, we've got some kegs going out soon. Nice. So that's something that uh, I'm enjoying drinking right now is the uh, Sam Adams New England IPA.
2: Yeah, sometimes I have like one or two of those West Coast IPAs, and the next morning I feel as if I have uh, an ice pick in my head. Am I just imagining that, or some of those IPAs are just hangover hangover juice?
3: Well, everybody gets hangovers from different things. But what the West Coast IPAs introduced uh, all of us to is big, bold hoppy flavors and and you know they took the hops and they turned them up to 11 and now i think what uh, brewers are are doing with ipas is maybe trying to bring them back into balance um and you know going back to what i talked about of a great beer has a lot of flavor but is mm-hmm. balanced and complex and is a pleasure to drink and so that's that's what I have in mind uh, <laughs> as we made our Sam Adams New England IPA, is a lot of flavor, balanced, complex, and a pleasure to drink.
2: I love that. And everyone at Forbes was raving about the Millennial. Is that, are you guys going to make that more widespread, or is that just for us, a little special, uh, special just boutique beer? We made
3: that for you guys. You've got to remember, beer is performance art.
2: Mm-hmm. You
3: know, we're not making statuary. We're not doing paintings that are going to hang in a museum. To me, the wonder of uh, a, a brewer's art is that your art exists only in the moment of its own creation. And that's so I'm perfectly happy to make something like Millenniale, which was a beautiful, rich beer, but it only existed, you know, in that moment. <laughs> and, and it made it special brewing it for that for all of the energy. And the excitement that comes with Forbes thirty under thirty. I wanted my beer to be a part of that. But just like you know, that event, it existed and then it was gone.
2: Yep. Yeah. So was the beer. Like like most of journalism. I I appreciate it, Jim. Well, thank you so much. We have Jim Cook, the brewer and founder of Sam Adams. Maybe one day he will get that promotion.
3: <laughs> Cheers.
2: Thanks a lot. That's it for this episode of the Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertone. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening.
0: HBO's Game of Thrones is back for its seventh season. Winter is finally here, and so are the White Walkers. Will the seven kingdoms of Westeros survive the threat from the north, or will they fall in the looming war for the Iron Throne? After you're done watching an episode, join the discussion here on the Game of Thrones After Show on Podcast One. Every week, our hosts discuss each episode in detail, from shocking twists to fan theories, as the series chronicles the violent struggle among the realm's noble families for ultimate power. Join the fray every week on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts.
1: Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details. U.S. only. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border.
3: Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous.
1: This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where
3: are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come down to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons.
0: We have the photographs.
1: Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donohue.